Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, and with me as always would be the namesake of this podcast, former silver slugger, all-star, golden lover, Brett Boone. What up, Brett? Hey, Danny. Brett, what's How going on in life? What's going on with you? Nothing. A uh, little golf today. I know that's rare. And uh, I think you were telling me you were getting a fridge for your garage. Got, yeah, I went and got a fridge. Fridge for the for the uh, for the garage. What so are you that putting? Was exci- ex- that was exciting. Except for Orange Ruffy, what do you need a second fridge for in your house? I got a lot of kids, Dan. Got a lot of kids. What, what's in there? You got a lot of uh, chicken nuggets. We do a lot of uh, high C. No, no, we got just you know extra fridge is nice to have. Drinks, Ooh. meats, fish. Are you a griller? Do you barbecue? You I don't think I've ever asked you that before. Are you, are you a griller? I, I do. I do. We'll save that for another time. If we didn't have such an important guest on with us, I wanted to go more to your grilling. But the guy we have on, seven-time All-Star, five-time Silver Slugger Award, two-times AL batting champion, one-time AL RBI leader, was enshrined in the Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame in 2019 and had the pleasure of playing with Brett Boone. Ladies and gentlemen, Edgar Martinez. What's up, Edgar? Hey, how you doing? Poppy, the original Poppy, we got him right out of the gate. I want to go, Marty Martinez. Tell me what Marty Martinez means to Edgar Martinez. Well, you know, uh, when the, I was young, I was trying to uh, to get a contract and sign uh, a professional ball player. Um, I had like two other tryouts, and they. You know, they always, uh, at that time in Puerto Rico, what they would look was either someone that had a lot of power or someone that was really fast. Um, or they basically were looking for mostly five-tool players at that time. Well, I never was a five-tool player. Uh, I could I could play good defense. I can hit. I, I can always hit all over the field and hit for high average, but I didn't have this big power that they were looking for. Uh, so Marty was the only one that said, oh, this kid can play uh, defense really well, hit the ball all over the field, land drives. And he was the only one that saw that talent that I have as a um, uh, potential for high average uh, hitter. And he likes the defense. He was an uh, infielder. Marty Martinez was infielder. So he likes uh, the accuracy of my arm. And he was strong enough. But I, I was very accurate. And he likes the way the, the fielding. He, he thought that I had enough range and good hands. Uh, so he uh, he gave me the chance. He gave me the the, the contract. Yeah, and and that's I mean you think about Edgar Martinez now, uh, two time batting champ, <clears throat> Hall of Fame member. You know, in in two thousand nineteen, and and people listening out there probably don't know your true story. And and like you explained, it wasn't just a first round pick. Signed for a ton of money, got to the big leagues really quick. You had a you had quite a road to get to the big leagues to establish yourself and to become the player that you became. Yes, um, you know I I knew something 
since Little League, I always will be like the best hitter in the team, the best player, um, you know, Mickey Mantle, uh, Sandy Koufax, all those players, best hitter, semi-pro, best hitter. I, I led the, uh, I tied the record in doubles in semi-pro. I played in the uh, professional league in Puerto Rico, and I always hit. I even won the batting title in Puerto Rico. Uh, well, I believe year. that. I believe that. I played enough with yeah, Edgar Martinez. I, I hit one year. I hit four twenty-four. <laughs> what kind of league you play it in? <laughs> that was the uh, the um, that was uh, the professional league in Puerto Rico, the Caribbean really? league, uh, and. I was the second one, like in something like a 70 years that nobody had, you know, uh, was last time somebody hit uh, 400. Um, but I always hit, but it always um, had a roadblock um, where I wasn't given the chance to play every day. Um, I played, the Mariners chose me to play their base because I wasn't fast enough to play second base or shortstop. So I played third base, but I uh, I didn't hit. They were looking for a lot of home runs. At that time, they wanted 30-plus home runs. Even I hit, you know, led the league uh, in AAA. I hit 360 one year. Well, that wasn't good enough because I didn't hit um, 30 home runs. So I, 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 uh, I got the break in, in the big leagues because uh, Darnell, uh, the team was playing bad, you know, and uh, Darnell uh, hurt his back. So Darnell Coles, yeah. Yeah. I got the chance to play, and then I start hitting, and it's, it, the team start winning. And um, that was it. I, we get playing well, and the manager put my put me in the lineup every day. And that year, I hit 300, finished the year hitting 300, and after that, I was, uh, I was the third baseman. But if it wasn't for that break, I probably – Still be a triple A player, you know, <laughs> hitting, so. hitting three eighty in triple A, you know. Uh, <laughs> and and I knew I knew about Marty and your story with Marty and how you know close he was to you over the years of playing together. And I don't know if you knew this, but when I signed with the Mariners in nineteen ninety, I went to my you know they sent me to instructional ball, and my first infield instructor was Marty Martinez, and. Yeah. You know, I went to second base and he told me, he said, Brett, we're going to work on t- turning that double play because they're coming to get you. And he would roll barrels at me at second base. He'd, <laughs> he'd have the shortstop feed me and he'd just be right. Roll. I forget what kind of barrels they were. If they were kegs or, or, or I don't know what they were, but he'd roll these at me. And I had to make the pivot and jump over. And that's my early experience with Marty. And, the, and remember the wall. 
He used to make me throw yeah. the ball against the wall and move my feet. Still to this day, I think is an incredible drill. You know, with all the, we've come a long way baseball wise with technology and, and new ways of training. But some of the some of the original Marty Martinez drills still play today, and and people could benefit from it. So I have I have good memories of Marty as well. Um, Eggert, growing up in Puerto Rico, and and when you're a Latin player coming to to the big leagues or, or coming to the minor leagues, um, what does what does the average fan out there not know about what it's like to come to the to to the states as a Latin player? That say like for a guy like me signing out of college, and I go to a ball. You know, you see a lot of these these young Latin players from not only Puerto Rico, but the Dominican Republic coming over. And I had Adrian Beltre on uh, a week or so ago, and he talked a little bit about a little bit of a culture shock for them. You know, for a lot of the young young guys, there's a language barrier at first until they get a grasp of the language. How was it for you? And and what what did the people out there listen to this podcast? What could they learn from you of what it's like to be a young Latin player coming to the to professional baseball in the States? Yeah, at the beginning, it's very difficult. Um, you know, when you, you have, uh, don't know the language, um, the culture, um, you know, you used to uh, a small neighborhood, let's say, uh, we, in, in Puerto Rico, where I, I was uh, raised, we were all, know, knew each other, a small um neighborhood and uh it's 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 even more difficult when you go to the states you don't know the language uh now um you feel like you alone like you by yourself uh even it helps that you have other latin players usually but it's still it takes time to to adapt and it's a it's a slow process uh some players adapt sooner before others, but it's still, it's a slow process and you need, you know, you are calling home every day. You're always um, trying to, to uh, stay in contact with your parents. Uh, my grandparents were the ones that raised me, so they were older, right? So I was trying to help them. And we didn't make a lot of money those years in my old age. And trying to help sending uh, some money back home, um, so it was uh, it was difficult. And and it's adaptation. Adaptation is, is is a process. It takes it takes time. And what once you got to the big leagues, and and you said that first time you got that opportunity and hit three hundred. When was the next step? When did, when did it come time when the manager called you in or the organization and said, Edgar, we're going to make you. We're thinking about making you a full time DH. What year was that? That was um, well, ninety three. That was the year that I pulled my hamstring. Right. So ninety. And, and uh, Mike Blowers was playing third. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, I only played that that year. I only played um, 42 games, and the majority they were the age, right? So, 94, we have a short season with the uh, um, with the, the strikes. So I kind of played third base, DH, still kind of nursing my hamstring, 
And um, I believe it was a, um, a mid-season or early 95, I think it was, that Lou talked to me about it and said, I think uh, we wanted to, to be uh, at the age. Um, we need you on the field and uh, we need your back every day. So I did have a hard time with that. Obviously, I didn't say anything to, to Lou, but I had a hard time with that uh, transition. Um, I thought, okay, the age, I'm going to be the age. Um, if something goes wrong, you know, it's easy, it, you know, it's easier to be out of the game um, if you are only the age. But when you play the field, it's more opportunities if something goes wrong. Um, so I had a hard time, but we had, you know, we had a pretty good team. We had Junior, Buner, uh, Randy, uh, Blauer was playing uh, well in their base. He was doing a good job. So we start playing good. I can complain. You know, I, I, I said, you know, the team is, I realized the team is better this way. So um, I decided to, you know, just play the game and, uh, and try to do my best. Well, and I think you kind of are the pioneer of the DA. I mean, there were some DHs, you know, obviously in your time, but you're, you're kind of the first one, you know, and became a hall of famer to kind of start that DH, you know, now it's the Edgar Martinez award for, for the most outstanding designated hitter, which is pretty darn awesome. But man, I couldn't imagine, yeah. you know, just for myself, you mentioned the, um, you mentioned the, the, you don't have the opportunity to go play the field, you know, whereas when I was playing, man, I always thought when I'm struggling with the bat, I can always go take a hit away from, from the other team on defense, you know, and kind of calm my mind. I watched you, uh, you know, as a teammate and, and I know you had kind of a different routine than the rest of us spent a lot of time during that game, you know, on a bike, uh, Tell the audience a little bit what it was like to, to, to know that you're coming to the ballpark, planning on playing 162 games, but not playing the field. How did you occupy yourself? It's almost like I would think it would be like being a closer. You know, we don't, you know we're going to use you, but it's not till the ninth inning. How do you – what did you do during the game that, that the rest of us, you know, we had to worry about defense. But you've got to keep your mind sharp and your body sharp for each and every at bat. It's not just a pinch hit; it's four pinch hits a, a game. Yeah, I, I, I think um, you know. I I realized that I had to train uh, well. Had to keep because keeping the body in shape. Because when you don't play the field, you gain weight, and 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 it's it's. Your muscles, you know, you, you just get weaker uh, if you're not not playing on the field. And I thought, okay, I have to take care of my my body, work out, and be uh, in good shape. Um, then I have to stay in the game. Uh, so I was always paying attention what was going on with the game. You know, the pitcher, how he's pitching, the catcher, how he's calling the game. Uh, go and watch videos of the pitchers and see what they're doing. Watch them. Constantly watching the pitcher, mostly. Um, and the routine was very important. I have to have the routine that 
get me uh, in good shape, uh, get me chart, and I have to be engaged uh, in the game. Anticipation, anticipate, okay, you know, if uh, Booney get on base and uh, he's in second base, how he's going to pitch to me, always anticipating how they're going, going to pitch in different situations. So I think that was the key for me. I have to have a routine and the engagement in the game was was key. Um, if I got distracted, I make sure that I come back and, and, and you know, watch the game, how they pitch in. Uh, and uh, that was key for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'll share this with the audience. You know, Edgar, when when yourself and me, when we played together, we usually were hitting back-to-back in the lineup, uh, you know, the majority of the time. And, Mal, we'd have – you remember all our conversations. I mean, it, it seemed like me and you were talking about the game and and the pitcher. And, hey, I, I you know, for instance, if I was hitting in front of you, I'd say, Edgar, how's this? How's you? How do you do off this guy? In case I get up there with a the base open, you know, or or and you tell me, Booney, I, I hit him pretty good, or no, I haven't had much luck with him. It kind of could make me anticipate if they were going to come right after me or be a little bit careful with the base open, and vice versa if I was hitting behind you. So I think you, I attribute a lot of of uh, what I learned from just talking to you and, and you kind of telling me how to think through the game and it, and it brought my game to another level, especially as a hitter. So, you know, those were some interesting and really educational conversations we have that I try to share uh, with young players today when I interact with them and, and try to teach them a little bit. I try to, uh, you know, I call it uh, thinking like a big leaguer before you're a big leaguer. If you can do that, you're way ahead of the game, but I'm going to move on a little bit. Uh, this year, the 60-game season, you know, pretty exciting postseason and, and World Series. They had the universal DH. What would you think of it? I liked it. I, I liked it. I, um, I think it was uh, uh, really good for uh, all fans. You know, did you know that it's fans that like to see the pitcher hit and fans that like, uh, don't like to see the pitcher hit. They want, and I think it was good to – to all fans that like baseball, to see um, the um, regular season, the playoff, and all that uh, with uh, with the age. Um, uh, the season was a good season. The, the playoffs were great, uh, and I think it was uh, it was good. I, I hope uh, that they consider to keep it that way. Uh, if it doesn't happen, um, you know in the next year or two that in the future they consider it. Yeah, I think it's great. And, um, you know, I'm a purist at heart and, and I'm a guy that really likes to not change the game much, but I think with a universal DH, I think in 20 years from now, we won't miss out on an Edgar Martinez, you know, think if the DH role wasn't, wasn't available in major league baseball. There might not be any, there might not be an Edgar Martinez. And I think that would deprave uh, fans of the game quite a bit. So I I think by expanding this DH, uh, you're going to put 15 more offensive players into the game. And and I think we're going to end up seeing some superstars from the offensive side that maybe in another generation, we wouldn't have been able to see. So I'm on board with you. I, I, I think it should be something that's put in. 
Now, uh, we both got to play, you know, and I still say to this day, it's the best player I've ever played with. Uh, talk a little bit about, and you played with him a lot longer than me. Talk a little bit about uh, Kenny Griffey Jr. Chris, Kenny was uh, one of the kind, you know, um, he had so much talent. Uh, something that uh, I was impressed was the instinct, which nobody talked about it too much. Uh, but he had this uh, instinct that was off the charts too. Uh, he uh, he played hard uh, in the outfield. Um, you know, when he got hurt, uh, his wrist it's because he didn't it didn't stop. Most of the the players kind of know the wall is closed and they kind of slow down. He didn't do that. Um, and his uh, mechanic, very simple, very consistent, um, and uh, his mental side, really strong. Uh, one of the kind uh, players, um, to me, the best player uh, that I play with and, and that, I, that I've seen so far, um, uh, he's, he's one of the kind for sure. The 95 season in Seattle, um, you know, it's kind of a turning point for the Mariners uh, as a franchise. You know, the, bit, the the double that, you know, you've seen a zillion times. I've seen it half a zillion. But what was, what was um, life in Seattle like before that 95 season and that postseason run and post-95? Yeah, um well, the, the, uh, it changed the city. It, it, it did. And baseball, baseball wasn't like a big deal in Seattle for years. I mean, I, I came to the town in 97, was the first time I played in the kingdom with the Mariners. And uh, I mean, it, it was empty. Uh, after 95, uh, the, uh, the franchise got... Um, a lot of new new fans, and um, you know, or core with junior leading with junior really attracted a lot of uh, a lot of fans, and um, the world got to see the Mariners, um, and got to see a number one player, Kendrick Junior, uh, and that definitely changed baseball in, in Seattle. Um, and I think that's, that that team had a lot to do that, uh, with that. Um, it, was a, it was a big change after 95. And I want to talk to you about two things, really unique, and, and you're the first one I really saw doing it. But tell everybody out there about – the eye drills. And, you know, I'd sit there and tease you before the games and you'd be laughing. I got to do a booty. And you'd be doing these eye drills that, that were administered to you by, or, or you were taught yeah. them by, by a doctor. And then we're going to get into the tennis balls that, you know, I think really work good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's the, uh, I, I have this condition, uh, extra business. So since I was a kid, I dealt with it. 
I had really good vision. I had um, 2020, I was really good vision, but the muscle, especially my right eye, was like a lazy eye. It will wander. Um, so I, I knew I got, I, I got teased in the school when I was a kid about it. But other than that, I never uh, talked too much about it until I, I came to uh, spring training when I was uh, added to the roster. And Dr. Nakatani said, oh, my goodness, how do you play this game? You have a condition. Uh, and he started explaining to me how it works. Basically, he told me, he said, the way when the eye uh, wanders, the brain says, I don't want you to see double. So imagine that you cover that eye. You see one dimension. You only see with your, with your left eye. So your depth perception is really bad. And... He said, I have some exercises that we're going to be trying, and, and you got to do this every day, uh, twice a day. Um, and after that, I mean, I, I, it was my routine from that day on until I retired. I have to do this exercise. I have to hold two cards. They have circles. One card, the circle have blue, uh, green, the other one was red, and he have words in, um, in the rim. And, but in one side, it was missing uh, letters, and those letters were in the other side. I had to put those rings, I had to put my eyes in a situation where I could see one ring one circle in the middle with the two colors combined and the full sentence. All the the words were completed. When um, and that's what I that was my goal. If I do that and it was clear and I could do it fast, that means my eyes are working the way it's supposed to work. And, and I have to do those exercises and and about two or three other exercises. Uh, and the goal was that my eyes were together and they were faster. Um, and I tell you what, it worked. Um, and I will notice, like when I when I watch TV a lot, um, when I uh, was getting sick or whatever, that's when I start. My eyes will get a little uh, lazy again. Um, but he, he helped a lot for sure. And yeah, and, and to t I'm going to tell the audience, I used to tease Edgar, Edgar and myself were locker mates of, for my last five years in Seattle. <clears throat> we were right next to each other and every day before the game, Edgar would be doing his, his, his eye exercise and I'd be sitting there teasing him about it. But I'll tell you to the fans out there. I try to do these ex eye exercises. You really have to train your eyes to do these. And with yeah. your condition, and, and I also remember I always used to tell you, I said, Edgar Martinez is the only man I know that in the middle of a bat, all of a sudden his eyes go, 
and he has to step out of the box because he can't see. And every single time that pitcher would throw a ball, it was never a strike to you. <laughs> never. You know, most of the rest of us, man, we, we have to step out of the box because something, you know, something flew in our eye or something. It's always a strike. But Edgar, he'd, he'd bail out of the box, and I'll tell you, every time, ball four. And, uh, well, that's kind of just, you know, that was just kind of the specialty you had, something about you. It's just, nope, that's Edgar. That's how things go. But, uh, no, that was fascinating. And, yeah, you were there every day doing your eye exercises, sometimes smirking at me like, what? What are you going to say today? But uh, I knew you, you, you had to do them for the condition that you had. We talked the other day uh, when I called you to do this, and, and we were talking about playing this game the right way and and how important that was. And, and I really liked our conversation and, and some of the things you taught me and I'll, I'll set it up for you and I'll let you take it from there. But when I came back to Seattle my second time, I, I sat down with Edgar and I picked his brain a lot about uh, hit hitters counts, thinking through the at bat, preparing for the at bat, you know, from who's in the bullpen to what you did this series to last at bat. Uh, constantly was talking to Edgar. And one day it, it was an eight to two ball game. Let's, let's just say, and uh, Edgar hit a one hop bullet to the second baseman. And there was a runner on second, nobody out. And he moved the runner to third. And the next guy up hit a sacrifice fly and we scored. And I went up to him and this was early in the season. I said, Edgar, what are you doing? He goes, I'm, I'm moving the runner over. And I said, it's eight to two. You don't have to do it. And you told me, and it stuck with me for a long time. You said, that's the way you play this game, Brett. And if you play the game right all the time, it'll work out in the long run. And I really took that to heart. And I started having, I I incorporated that into my game. And we were talking about it the other day as if you do it and then he does it. And then the next guy does it, that 25th man on the roster does it too and, and you and the team be the team camaraderie really improves speak to that a little bit about our conversation that because that was really important and a big turning point in my career from an offensive standpoint yeah i i always find out when when i put in in the minor league um you know bill Plummer was speaking this you, you always play the game right you play it right uh, and you move the runner, and you, you do the little things. And I find out that every time I try to do the little things, you play for my advantage. Um, and every time I, I do the right thing, I will do better than um, that if I try to do too much and try to do it by myself. Um, and like you said, when you set the table for the guy that is behind you that could be struggling, now you move the the runner, and now all he has to do is just hit a ground ball or fly ball, and he have an RBI. Well. Now that guy feels so much better, and it's a guy that is going to protect you. So it's always 
when we played the, 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 the game the right way, it worked for our advantage, I think, in the long run, like you said. We have talked to, to, about this. Um, so I always, uh, it, it stuck with me, and I always played the game uh, that way. Even if it was, you know, we were winning for four or five runs. Um, and I, I think it's, it's the way it should be. Right now, it's a little different, you know. The, the, the game has changed, uh, but I, I still believe that's the best way to, to, um, to play the game. Edgar Martinez Award. How cool is that, having something named after you? That was, that was a big surprise. Um, I didn't know anything about it. Um, when when I retired, uh, uh, Buck Philly said that I I was shocked. I'm like I have no indication he was going to do that. Um, I was wondering why he, he would be there, um, but uh, it's uh, it was a cool moment. Uh, you know when I hear that, um, it's pretty pretty amazing. If you know where I came from, come from, a small little neighborhood, um, and how I grew up, it's it's like uh, incredible that all these things happened to me, uh, and that was one of the, the cool moments in my career that I said I can't believe this. Is uh, uh, never forget that, and also. We've got Edgar Martinez drive. Not only does he have an award named after him, but he's got <laughs> a road named after him, which which goes right by uh, Mariners Field. And and I'll tell you, and, and I tell people this all the time: Ken Griffey is is probably is the biggest sports star ever to probably go through Seattle. And I think you, along with him, are kind of the Mount Rushmore of Seattle baseball. It's Edgar Martinez and Junior. Junior being, Junior being Junior. You know what can you say about that? Junior's Kenny's just Kenny, and he's different than the rest of us. But I've never seen, uh, you know, leading up to to your Hall of Fame induction, I'd never seen more support for a player from his city. And organization that I saw from you. I, I mean, I, I think the word beloved in Edgar Martinez in Seattle doesn't really do it justice on, on how much the people uh, of the Northwest love Edgar Martinez. But I've never seen the support. And, and how agonizing was it for you? Because you got in on the 10th ballot. This was your last one. And you got yeah. in. Uh, what was that wait to, to wait for a decade to finally get the call? How, how cool was that? Or, or, you know, what was it like for you? Yeah. You know, the, the, the ten, those 10 years, that, that was a roller coaster, right? At the beginning, uh, I didn't know if it was going to be a chance. At least, you know, I'm still have, have, uh, have a chance. Uh, then the votes, you know, I got less support at the middle, like in the fifth, sixth year, and then the votes that start coming back up. Um, I told you I didn't have expectations to be in the Hall of Fame. I said, you know, if this happens, it will be really cool. But if it doesn't happen, I already 
I, I, I don't, it's something that I don't have to have. Uh, I don't have to have this happen in my life, but um, it would have been very cool. So I wasn't really uh, too hopeful. I made my mind that, you know, uh, this might not happen. So uh, I, I, I just move on. And uh, but when finally at the the uh, tenth year it happens, I look back and I said, you know, it was worth it because now my kids are older. My my girls can I can share this experience with with my kids. Uh, if it happened at the beginning, my kids would have been way too young to to really um, be part of it. So I, I think it it was so much worth it to be to happen at at the tenth year. Um, it was very cool. It was very cool that you know having something like this um, share with with your kids and the family. That's that's what is really really special. Um, so I'm glad it happened that, that way. Who's the best hitter you ever saw? Uh, I tell you what, Tony Wynn was pretty incredible. Uh, George Brad, George Brad was incredible too. Love Kirby Pocket from the right side. Kirby was pretty awesome. A really good hitter, Paul Molitor. Yeah, Kirby and Paul. That was a loud batting practice in that dome, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but I think it's probably one of my favorite that that, that I love to watch was uh, George Brett. This guy, I, when he was hitting, but in practice, I was out in the dugout watching. Uh, I didn't miss, I, I will not want to miss one of that. Like if, I, if I knew he was going to hit in that inning, I would be make sure that I'm in the dugout and I don't miss out of that. Um, I think that that helped me a lot too. Just watching these guys hit, watch, you know, Tony Wynn, um, watch um, um, Kirby Pocket, George Brett. Those are the guys that I didn't miss at bats. Yeah, I want to watch them, uh, and, and you always learn something. Well, and I think, you you know, you say about that, but you're a person, especially in our generation, that a lot of people would come watch it. You know, I would do it. So that that's pretty cool. You had your guys, and then there were guys yeah. that were actually coming. And and I know that you're, you know, a very humble guy, but a lot of guys, even to this day, hey, what, what was it like playing with Edgar? I said, he's one of the best of my generation. This guy could fall out of bed and hit. And I know there was a lot more that went into it you know, that, that we've discussed and I don't have time to share with everybody, but, uh, yeah, our time and, and watching you and learning from you was, was my pleasure to, 
to get to do. I mean, it was it was pretty cool. All right, we're going to finish with this and, and tell the audience out there in the Boone Podcast <laughs> what does right on it mean? <laughs> <laughs> right on it. You know, sometimes it, it, during the games uh, <clears throat> or watching some of the uh, games on TV, uh, we try to be pretty uh, loose and try to make things fun uh, while we wait uh, for for the game to start. So every time we see somebody that uh, a hitter that swings <laughs> and if they get pulled really bad, uh, we will say right on it. He was right on that pitch. <laughs> And, and I'm telling you, you know, I'll expand on it a little bit. This was so funny that we had it working. I forget how we came up with it. it. It was something where we were watching a video and somebody literally missed a breaking ball by two and a half feet. And somebody, it was either you said it to me or I said it to you. And said, hey, that guy, he was right on that pitch. And it kind of grew in our clubhouse. And I mean, it would be mid-game and Cammy. Mike Cameron would be up in the locker room yelling to us in the dugout, hey, right on it. (laughs) Like you said, it was. It was a part of those early 2000s Mariners teams that made them so special is is those those teams that played then. And, you know, the guys were pretty close and and just those years are coming to the to the clubhouse. And, And it would be out of nowhere. I mean, you could be in the training room and sports center be on. And if somebody struck out on a slider, Edgar would scream to me in the other room. Hey, Bodie, that guy was right on it. But uh, no, that was, that was, that was fun. Well, Poppy. That was uh, yeah. I, I want to thank you for doing this. This is, this is really cool. And it, and people are really going to like hearing from, from Edgar that don't, get to hear from you all the time and and i appreciate it i appreciate my time with you all, all you helped me uh with my hitting when i came back to seattle you were like a brother to me always will be you know i love you and and i appreciate you coming on and what we do on the boom podcast at the end is we have big dan levy come back with a with a couple questions uh for you from the fans dano hi edgar how are you Good, good, really good. All right, I got a couple quick questions for you. One actually is for actually both of you um, here in Chicago. I know I do a lot of Chicago questions because I live out here. The biggest news for us is that Theo Epstein is stepping down, and he's no longer going to be with the Cubs. He's going to do his own venture and possibly even try to own a team or do something of that nature. One of the interviews I heard him do this week in the last couple of weeks is he explained to people that when he was learning to become to, to be in management for baseball. One of the things when he would talk to players is that he would discuss with the players. What are you guys not happy about? What, what, what is the infraction between players and management? And when he said, a couple of players said to him, we just don't trust management. A lot of times they lie to us. They're not honest with us. They don't really tell us what's really going on. And so when he said that he became a manager, it was this thing to be bluntly honest. Did you guys have that going into the teams that you guys played for? And well, the team that you played for, did you find that to be the case where managers aren't always very honest with the players as to what they're dealing with, what things you should probably work on if you're going to help the team? Or did you guys have that relationship with the management where they told you exactly what they were looking for, what they needed out of you, and they, they delivered on it? 
Well, Dan, you got to decipher. Is it managers or general managers? General That's managers. I apologize. General, general managers. managers. Well, I'll, I'll take upper it, management. You know, yeah, I would say you know for the most part, and I played for several general managers, some great ones. And uh, I find that the great ones are out of sight, out of mind. You know, the the guys that aren't in uniform, uh, their position isn't to be amongst the players and hanging out with the players in close proximity. They're to be on the outside and 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 put the team together, you know, and, and the interaction between uh, manager and coaches, the uniform, well, that's different. We live together. We're going over strategies. But I, but I thought the great general managers in my time playing – um, were the ones that were hands off and kind of did their job. They were upstairs in the office, putting the teams together, getting players that we might need making a trade, but they really were kind of out of sight, out of mind. You never saw much. And like I said, in my experience, the good ones were, were not in the clubhouse amongst the players, but you know, Edgar might have a different feeling on that. Yeah, I agree with with Booty on this. Uh, general managers, you don't see them much. Uh, once in a while, they come down, but um, I think that, that they try to be disconnected from the players because they might have to make a tough decision. Uh, so they, for the most part, they don't try to build a close relationship with players uh, for that reason, because. Uh, you know, baseball, they uh, players get traded all the time, or they have to be released. Or, um, but uh, I think the um, uh, it's true they, they they just stay away for the most part. Very cool. Now, Edgar, I got one more for you. I was doing some research on you. And I always like to do a little Wikipedia dive, see what's kind of out there. Now, there's a section here that says you met your wife on a blind date. Is that correct? Yeah. How does yeah. my question to you is this? The question to you is this. Because I know a lot of people that have met people on blind dates, they are not famous baseball players. So I'm just wondering how somebody set you up and told your wife, how did she not know, know who you were? How does how does a blind date with Edgar Martinez go like well, he's a baseball player. He's on television every five minutes, and he's humongous. Yeah. The, um, this was at the beginning. I think it was 1990 when I met her. Um, she uh, she was going to, to school, college, and then uh, she was uh, working in the weekends with um, a Nordstrom. So uh, a co-worker... Uh, was the um, girlfriend of a writer, and the writer, one time I was uh, one day I was at the uh, in the lobby in the hotel. I can't remember the city where we were, and she came to me and said, "Hey, I know this beautiful girl that I bet she will like to meet you. I see you by yourself all the time." And and I said, "Well, give me the number." <laughs> but you know she say no let me talk to her and they talk and she didn't want to give out the number so I keep asking and finally she gave out the number we went to dinner and after that I mean we get uh, in touch and a year and a half later we got married <laughs> that's incredible That's because I'm always like how do how do, how do athletes go on blind dates I mean it's one thing for like 
for me, who nobody's ever really heard of or even knows about, but for Edgar Martinez, I'd be like, yeah, that name sounds a little familiar. That's not much of a blind date, but all right, have at it. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, Edgar, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, I believe you are on Twitter, and that would be at 11 Edgar Martinez if you want to follow him on social media. And again, he's everywhere. Also, we want to thank everybody for finding the podcast, subscribing, downloading and telling all your friends please continue to help us grow this podcast it is growing by leaps and bounds we want to thank all of you who are on the ground floor with us and running away with this podcast it's only going to get better and better and better for all those out there my name is dan levy and alongside has been the namesake of this podcast he makes it fun he is brett boone and if you want to follow him on social media he's on facebook he's on instagram on twitter it's at the boone 29 for edgar martinez for brett boone my name is dan levy Thanks for listening to the Brett Boone Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Later, everybody.